Amen. All right. Give the Lord some praise and take a seat. All right. Well, good morning. Welcome to City Light. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Nate. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new, we'd love for you to fill out a connect card. If you just moved here from some area, you're starting school, whatever it might be, a friend brought you, you looked us up on Google, you don't know what to do with your life, and so you tried to find a church, whatever your millions of reasons would be, uh, we would love to connect with you and help you your spiritual journey. So fill out that connect card, we'll give you a gift on your way out. A quick reminder that we are doing baptisms on our four-year anniversary, which is September 17th. You can email john at wearecitylight.org or fill out the form online. We'd love to help you take that next step in your relationship with Jesus. So today we're continuing through the armor of God. Our focus today is on the helmet of salvation, the helmet of salvation. So this is number five. We only have one more next week. There are six in total. A helmet obviously protects me in battle. It keeps me safe. It provides assurance of protection and safety. Oh, and when I think about this, well, one of my kids just started Kid Pitch Little League, all right? And it's a very dramatic change when you go from coach pitch which are adults who have some control of the ball, to kid pitch who are like eight and nine-year-olds just chucking it at you, you know? Like, uh, and our big speech is like, listen, you're gonna get hit. You're gonna get hit. It's just gonna happen. You're probably gonna get hit a lot, okay? Like these next couple years of your life, uh, these kids have no control, all right? And you're just gonna get hit. Now, the beauty of it is uh, you have a helmet, okay? You put your helmet on, you'll be fine, all right? Because the trick with this is because you're scared to get hit, all right, this is what happened to me when I was in third grade, all right? I, I played baseball up until third grade. And when kids started hitting me with the ball, I said, no, nah, this ain't it for me. No, 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 no. Uh, basketball, I like it a lot better. This doesn't happen every day. So my parents literally had to pay me money to stand in the box because I would, I would stand this far away. You know, the pitch is coming. I'd be like, I ain't getting hit today. Uh, but this is the fear. You, you can't stand in the box unless you feel ready and confident that you can handle what's coming your way. And part of the reality of what we've seen in the text is the goal is to stand firm. Remember, we want to stand firm. You want to hold your ground in the gospel so that you can stand firm amidst the devil's attacks or amidst the situations of life. Well, if you're in the kid pitch, you can't stand firm unless you're confident in your helmet because the idea is that, listen, if you get hit on your arm, you get hit on your leg, you might get a bruise, but you'd be all right. Like, you will survive, right? If you get hit on your head, that's going to be a problem unless you have your helmet. So when you put the helmet on, the goal is you have to stand firm in the box because if you don't stand in the box, you can't hit the pitch. You can't play. It's not going to work. So you have to have some level of confidence. You have to believe in your helmet and you have to be confident that it's going to work for you. Now, the reality is for so many of us that just like a kid who's scared to get hit, we don't have either much confidence in our helmet that we haven't really believed in what it provides for us. We're not applying that truth every day to our lives, so we're not standing firm in trials. You know, we're backing out. Or when some pressure comes, or when an attack in any way comes, or a difficult situation, instead of standing firm and getting ready to bat, we kind of back off a little bit. Uh, you might become apathetic. You might, whatever the way might be, you might give up. You might try to escape into some sort of temptation, way of life. That's backing out. It's like, I can't hit the pitch. I'm too scared, so I'm gonna go look at this, or I'm gonna go do that instead, or I'm gonna distract myself by doing this or I'm just going to give up. And what the Bible wants us to do is stand firm, but to stand firm, just like a kid in kid pitch, you have to believe in the power of your helmet and you have to have your helmet on. So if a kid was standing there and didn't have their helmet on, 
I would say, yeah, you should be afraid. That pitch could come hit you right in the head and knock you out. Like, that's not good. And so there are really, in light of that, two categories of people this morning. There are those who don't even have the helmet on. It's called the helmet of salvation, which means you haven't been saved. If you haven't put the helmet on, you haven't trusted in Christ. And so you ought to be afraid. You don't have any protection in life. And I hope for you to see today that Jesus died and rose again to save your life, to give you the assurance of salvation, to give you eternal life, and to help you stand firm to knock all the pitches that come your way in your life. There are also a category of people who do have the helmet on, but you're not consciously aware of it. So even though your helmet is on, you have trusted in Christ, you are saved, you have believed and put your faith in Jesus. Even though your helmet is on, you don't live with the kind of confidence that would come from having your helmet on. You're living as if someone who doesn't have their helmet on, who's scared of every pitch, who's afraid of the worst possible things that will happen, who, even, who isn't even living confident of God's love for you, and you need assurance of what this is. So there are really two categories of people, those who need protection, because you don't have it, and those who need assurance, because you're not living in it. And this is what God wants to give all of you this morning through putting on the helmet of salvation. And my goal, simply, metaphorically speaking, is that you would stand firm in the box and be ready for the pitches that come your way in life, and that you'd be able to live that way without fear. So, we're going to go ahead and open our Bible to Ephesians chapter 6. All right. Remember, preaching is a group project, okay? All right, join me this morning. We'll do this together. All right, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. And it's really just 17, but we're going to remember set it up every week. We're going to read them all. So Paul says, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Therefore, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation. So this is really, the whole sermon is verse 17, take the helmet of salvation. Remember, we have transitioned from the first set of three, which are things that we have on, that we were supposed to keep on, like your shoes, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield. And then then there's three things we're supposed to take up and use, which is the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. You're going to see next week the sword of the Spirit. And so these are things you need to hold and use in your life. You need to take it up intentionally, all right? You need to make an active decision to use this in your life. For some of you, you need to make the active decision to use it for the first time and to believe and trust in Jesus. And for some of you, you need to make the conscious decision to hold on to it, to use it, to remember what God has said to you. Really, the word that we're going to work through today that's going to help us live with protection and assurance is the word hope. Turn to your neighbor and say hope, hope, hope. Just look at them and say hope, hope. All right, hope, hope, hope. Well, I want to give you some real hope this morning because Paul actually uses the word hope to explain the helmet of salvation. You say, what is the helmet of salvation? Well, Paul actually defines it. He gives us a little bit more adjectives to it in 1 Thessalonians 5, chapter 8. He says, same person who wrote 1 Thessalonians is writing Ephesians. He says, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. The hope of salvation. So it's not just the helmet of salvation. We have a little bit more characteristics here. The helmet is the hope of salvation. Now, remember, hope has been an important word in Ephesians. We've gone over this several times. That the Bible uses the word hope not as a wish, how we use it. Like, I hope my team wins the game. 
The Bible uses the word hope as a promise, as a guarantee, as something that will surely come to pass. And so we're going to see how that applies now in our life because what's interesting about the hope of salvation is you usually hope for something ahead, but salvation is something that's already been done. It's not necessarily a hope for what's to come, which is included, but a hope for what already has been. It's not a hope for something that is ahead, but a hope for something that you already have. What the hope of salvation is, is the perfect fulfillment of something that we already have. If you are saved in Christ, then that is something that has already been done and something you already hold in your life and in your hand and in your heart. A way for you to say this when you're thinking biblically about it is our hope is in what we have, not what we don't. You can write this down. I think it'll be on the screen. Our hope is in what we have, not what we don't. And our hope is in what is already given, not just what will be. This is so important for your life. Our hope in Christ, if you are in Jesus Christ and trust in him, your hope, my hope, is in what I already have, not what I don't have. And my hope is not just what will be, which is wonderful, but what already is. And this will change the perspective of your life because often you hope for something you don't have yet. And the Bible wants to flip your perspective and say your hope is, one, is in what you already have. And so many of us are placing the hope of our life in something that we don't have and something that we wish we had. Even spiritually speaking, the hope of heaven, which is wonderful and something we ought to think about very much. But the Bible's gonna place some present tense emphasis on the reality that hope is not something you need to get. Hope is not something that is coming your way. Hope is something you already have. It's based off what you have right now, not what you don't. It's based off what God has already given you, not what he will give you. It's not something you're reaching for. It's something you already hold. And this is gonna change your life because that truth is then true in every situation. It's true in every circumstance. I want to, roll, I want to show you how this works in the, in the Bible sense because it sounds a little bit like, you know, a pep talk motivational speech. My hope is in what I already have when it doesn't feel that way in my life. But it's a theological reality about salvation. The Bible describes salvation, it's the helmet of salvation, remember, as present, as past, present, and future. So the hope of what will be is based off something that's already been done and something that I have right now. So my hope for the future is based off what I hold in this moment already. And it's really based off something that's already been done. Let me show you some scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, 2, Paul says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, past tense, in which you stand, present tense, and by which you are being saved, future tense. Salvation is past tense, something that's already been done. Present tense, something I have right now. And future tense, something I will experience fully later. But it's in every aspect of my life. The hope of salvation is not simply a hope of what will be, but a hope of what is now. Philippians 1.6 says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So he who began it on the cross and then applied it, began it in your life, will now bring it 
to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That there is a past tense, Jesus started something. There's a present tense, Jesus is doing something. And then there's a future tense, Jesus will complete something. Your salvation, therefore, is based off something that happened in the past that continues in the present and will be available to you forever. So when I become consciously aware of the reality of my salvation, I put on hope. I am, I am keeping and guarding my mind and really my spirit with the helmet of salvation because the hope of my future is something I currently hold in my heart. What do you mean this way? The hope of your future is something you currently hold in your heart. Remember, you are not hoping for something that will be, but your hope is in something that already is. And simply to be a Christian is to have that hope and progressively growing, enjoy it more and more. Because I'm not reaching for something I don't have, but I'm enjoying something that's already been given to me because it's based on what Jesus has already done for me. So your hope is what you have. I wanna I want help you think about this. You know, remember, uh, you guys know how this is when you're like looking for your phone. This happens to my wife. You're looking for your phone, scrambling, where did I put it? And then it's in the pocket. You guys done that? Like, where did I put my phone? Is it on the bed? Is it on that? And eventually you're like, oh, oh, it's in my pocket. The funniest one that happens to me, because I have a lot of kids, is I'll be holding a kid while looking for that kid. I'll just be holding one, especially like a little one like Katie, and I'll be like, where's Katie? Where did she go? I don't see, you know? And it's so like a part of my body, I don't even realize, and then they're like, you're holding Katie. What are you talking about, you know? Nate's lost his mind, you know? They say, what in the world? You look for a phone, and you already got it in your pocket, you know? I'm looking for a kid that I'm holding. But this is true spiritually for ourselves, that we're looking for hope when we already have it. It's in your pocket. It's in your hand. It's in your heart. It's already been given to you. And you see the anxiety, the fear, the nerves, the stress that rises when you're looking for something that you already have is completely avoidable because the stress you felt looking for your phone was unnecessary because you had it in your pocket the whole time. And the anxiety I felt wondering where my kid was was unnecessary because they were in my arms the whole time. And the same is true for us with Jesus, that all of the anxiety and the fear and all of that, even though, you know, we deal with it, it's not like a magic sermon to make it go away, but the theological logical reality is that it's unnecessary because the things we're afraid of don't match the hope we've already been given and that what will be is already true about me now. You know, you're, we're looking for hope or for an answer or for love or for some sort of way to secure our lives and we're running around. Like DC people, scrambled, trying to make something of our life, trying to figure out the situation, trying to solve the problem, trying to get what I need somewhere else. And just like me looking for my phone and being anxious and stressed, so it is with us spiritually. Listen to me. The hope you have been looking for is already in your pocket. It's already in your hand. It is already in your heart if you have believed and trusted in Jesus. To those of you who know Jesus, my simple word for you this morning is you need to stop looking for it and start enjoying it. Stop looking for it. Stop hoping for it. Stop wishing for it and start enjoying it. What will be true about you forever is already in many ways true about you now. And the same God who's going to secure your eternity of bliss and happiness is the same God who's securing you now. 
The same God that has forgiven all your sins is the same God that is currently forgiving all your sins and the same God that will forever have forgiven all your sins. The same God who's promised you these things in the future is available to you now. Your hope is not in what you don't have. And your hope isn't even yet in what will be. But your hope is in what you already hold. So stop looking for it and start enjoying it. Now, this hope, as we talked about, provides these two things, protection and assurance. Protection and assurance. So I'm going to walk through those two things. Protection comes from salvation. So this is the first thing you need to consider. Protection comes from, so it's the hope of salvation. Now, we need to get more detailed. What is, what is salvation? Salvation, the Bible describes, is to be saved from sin and the wrath of God on my sin And not just from sin, but for God. That I am saved away from that which destroys my life and my eternity. And I am saved to that which blesses my life and my eternity. Salvation is a from here to there. To be saved spiritually is to go from death to life. From darkness to light. From bondage to freedom. From shame to forgiveness. From regret to to redemption, and to live consciously aware with the helmet of my salvation on means I don't live in regret. I put on the helmet of salvation. I live in redemption. I don't live in shame. I live in security. You know, I don't live in darkness. I live in light. When I put on the helmet of salvation, I begin to live in the realities that have been applied and bought to me through the salvation of Jesus. You see what is happening? To be saved is to go from somewhere to somewhere else. That's what it means. So I don't live as one that's in death. I live as one full of life. I have been saved from death to life. So I live in life. I have been saved from darkness. This is 1 John 1 all over the place. How can you say you walk in the light while you live in darkness? So to be saved and to, to, to apply that is to move from darkness to light. I don't live in sin willingly, continually. I, I grow and I want to walk in the light. I pursue holiness. When I put on the helmet of salvation, I begin to live in the light. I don't live in bondage. I don't live in bondage to who I was. I don't live in bondage to my flesh. I don't live in bondage to my temptations. But in Christ now, I have been set free. I am not the victim. I am the victor. And because of what Jesus has done for me, I'm a free man. So I live as a free man. To put on the helmet of salvation is to enjoy these things that have already been done for you. You know, why are you still living as death when you have been saved from death and given life? Why are you still walking in darkness when you have been saved from darkness and put in the light? Why are you still living in shame when you have been forgiven? Why are you still living with regret when you can live in redemption? God redeems your regrets. It's the whole point of the gospel that what enemy meant for evil, God means for good. God is turning things around. To apply the helmet of salvation is to live in the reality of your salvation. And for some of you, it's to receive it for the very first time. I mean, one of the simplest ways to explain what salvation is, it's called the Romans Road. Many of you probably know this. It's a good tool for you, amongst many, to understand the the essence of the gospel is this. Romans 3.23, the Bible teaches us that it says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God 
which means our greatest problem is sin. Sin brings on the wrath of God. Sin does not allow us to enter into heaven because we fall short. We miss the mark of what we're supposed to be, which is perfect, and what's required to get into heaven, which is perfect. So we, we, don't, uh, we don't have, we don't live up to the glory of God. Therefore, we cannot be in God's presence. This is our problem. That's why Romans 6, 23 then says, the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life. So to say all have sinned, none of us are, are uh, excused from that, right? None of us have, have lived a perfect life, not even close. And so we're all guilty. And the problem is the wages of sin, the thing we earn from sin, the thing that comes back to us because of our sin is death, both physical death and spiritual death. The reason why there's physical death in the world is because of sin. It wasn't supposed to be that way. But even worse than physical death is a spiritual death, a second death, so to speak, when my sins have to be dealt with through the wrath of God in a place called hell. The wages of sin is death. So I'm a sinner. What my sin has earned for me is death, physically and spiritually. But the gift of God, the salvation of God, is eternal life. So Romans 5.8 teaches us that God sold that, that, be, that uh, wait, Romans 5.8, I didn't even write it down right here. Uh, uh, this is one of my favorite verses. This is one of those preaching moments where you just forget exactly a verse you use all the time. Oh, here it is. Okay, God demonstrated for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God's love was demonstrated to us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So I'm a sinner. My sin deserves wrath and the payment back to me for my sin is punishment and death. But God demonstrated his love for me in this that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. So now God has done something for me that I could not do for myself. And he has died to take care of my sins. He has died to wipe my slate clean, to forgive my sins. He has done something for me in love, even when I didn't love him. You see, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He has proactively done something ahead of time, something ahead of time for us, in light of his love for us, not in light of the fact that you deserve it or I deserve it or the fact that we're great people and we think, no, 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 he loves us and so he came to die for us, it's that simple. And then, well, how do I get that? You think, well, that's great. I'm a sinner, that's a problem. The wages of my sin is death, even a worse problem. The good news is that God died on a cross and rose again for me because he loves me. Okay, great. How do I do that? How do I apply that to my life? Well, the last one, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. So it doesn't say if you go to church, you know, 52 times a year and serve the poor and start getting better and get your life right, stop being so ratchet, start living more redeemed, you'll be saved. No, it says... <laughs> It says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. How do I apply what God has done? I believe. I believe. And I believe in a public way, too. I confess. I'm willing to say this is true about me. This is part of why we do baptism. Not that it saves you, but it's part of your public confession to live this out. And some of you need to do that this morning. You're watching online or here, a friend brought you whatever, and you haven't, now you're, I'm a sinner. My sin has, uh, my, the wages for my sin is death. Jesus died in his love for me so that he could forgive me of my sins. I received the forgiveness of my sins, my salvation, through putting my faith, my belief in Jesus alone and no one else. And the Lord's already knocking on the door of your heart saying, that's you and you need to do that this morning. You are standing there. You're not ready for any pitch because you don't have your helmet on. You're just going to get knocked out. And the Lord wants to provide you the helmet of salvation through putting your faith in him. So that's the protection. 
The protection comes from salvation. I have no protection apart from God's salvation. And some of you need to, number one, receive that protection for the very first time. And many of us need to remember to live in light of that, that we should not live in regret when we can live in redemption and so on. Okay, the next one is assurance. Assurance. So it's two things. A helmet actually protects you, like in reality, but it also gives you some assurance that you're safe. So technically, a, a kid should be able to stand there and at least feel a little better, like my head is safe. The helmet is gonna, the helmet can get dinged up, but my head won't get dinged up. We're good. It gives you some assurance. What does assurance do? Assurance allows you to live with confidence. What does confidence do? It allows you to step up to the plate. It allows you to do the things God has called you to do, right? But you can't live with a confidence unless you have assurance. And some of you are lacking confidence because you're lacking assurance. And you're lacking assurance because you're not applying the truth of the gospel to your life. Protection comes from salvation, but assurance comes from application. So there's something God does and something you do. Protection is not something you do. God saves you, you simply believe and trust in him. He died on a cross, you couldn't do that for you. It wouldn't help if you died on a cross for anybody. That's not gonna help nobody. But Jesus dies on a cross, he does something you cannot do. He raises from the dead, he does something you cannot do. He gives you this as a gift, you just have to believe and receive it. So the protection comes from salvation, but your assurance comes from application, something you do. Something you have to do. That's why the Bible says, take up the helmet of salvation. You gotta put that sucker on, all right? You have to pick it up, and put it on and begin to live with assurance. This is something you must do every day. This is something you must live with in light of. This is what you take up, is the truth of our salvation. We take the truth of our salvation, we apply it to our lives. We take the truth of God's love for us, right? That God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Take the truth of that and I apply it to my life right now, today. I take the truth of his forgiveness for me that was never in light of my good behavior, but his forgiveness of me was there because I don't always do the right thing. That was true then, it's true now. I take it and I apply it to my life. I apply his righteousness to my life. God does not love me based on my performance for him. He does not approve of me because I had a good week. God approves of me because of Jesus. It was something that's already been done. I am covered in his righteousness. That means to God, I look like God. I look like Jesus. He looks at me, he doesn't see Nate and all my mess ups and my, my, my sin, he sees Jesus. So I'm covered in righteousness. You know how confident you walk, you know? This is like, this is how it should be. You know, like when every guy gets a nice girlfriend, he just changes, you know? You've seen this, all right? Every guy, every guy. You get a pretty girlfriend or somebody just, you just, man, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know? You could feel like a complete bum, but you get a good, pretty girl, and you're like, hey, oh, hey, you know? You're ready to go. You feel confident. You feel good, you know? You feel like I'm walking with a little strut in my step because this person that's with me makes me feel better about myself. Well, this should be true a million times more with Jesus to say, well, Jesus is with me. He's the king of the universe, and he loves me no matter what, so I'm gonna have a little strut in my step and walk with some confidence because God is with me. God is with me. And he values me and he loves me and he'll never leave me. And his opinion matters way more than anyone else's. And so now I take the truth of God's love for me. I apply it to my everyday life and my situations. Now, for some of you who maybe have <clears throat> known Jesus or been in church from a young age, oftentimes you struggle with assurance. You struggle with assurance. You look back and you think, well, did I really mean it? Well, you know, what, what did I mean when I was little? This is something I struggled with earlier in life <clears throat> was assurance to say, man, do I really know the Lord? Is this real? You know, 
Here's the reality. Okay. The reason why we struggle with assurance often is because we're trying to look backwards into a distant past and have some clarity on what happened as opposed to thinking about today and the fact that I'm picking up the helmet of salvation this morning. So if I try to look back to when I was six and think, okay, did I really believe and trust in Jesus when I was six? I think so, you know, but I don't know. Uh, that was, I'm 37, 31 years ago, right? That's kind of a foggy memory, you know, in my brain. But you know what I can do? You know what gives me a lot of assurance? Say, I woke up this morning trusting in Jesus. I put on the helmet of salvation two hours ago. I remembered who God was for me. I remembered what he did for me and I trusted him. I live with a ton of assurance. And so some of us are living, trying to get assurance from something that has happened way long ago when God is saying, okay, that's great, but you need to take up this helmet of salvation, put it on this morning and say, I'm walking with assurance because I put on the helmet of salvation two minutes ago. And I'm, no, I know, I know I'm saved. Not because of what I've done, not even because I prayed a prayer back when I was little, but because right now in this very moment, my trust is in Jesus Christ. One of my old pastors used to say it was very helpful to me that it's not in your past profession, but in your present position. I, mean, I look at my life now and I say, I'm not perfect, but do I love and trust Jesus? Yeah, I do. And then the assurance comes from that, which also means only God knows the state of your soul. But if you can't look at your current life and say, yeah, I'm loving and trusting in Jesus, then you should lack assurance, that's the point. You're not saved because you're never gonna sin again. You're gonna get saved and you're gonna sin more. I mean, not, you're gonna sin hopefully less, but you're still gonna sin, that's what I mean. That sounded weird, you're gonna get saved and sin more. That's not what I meant. I just meant you're gonna be saved and you're still gonna struggle with sin, hopefully less and less, but. But the reality is to say you should not have assurance if you're just looking back on something you believed before that you're not currently living now. The whole point of this truth is that your current state is what either gives you assurance or not. So I often have conversations where I look at people and say, listen, I don't know the state of your soul and I'm so glad you say you believed in Jesus before, but the way you're living now says the opposite. So you, for your own soul's sake, should, should have some questions about your salvation. You should dig deep into whether you really believe that or not, because if you did, you wouldn't be living this way unrepentantly without change. So you should lack assurance if you say, man, I look back, I believed in Jesus when I was little, I'm good. I wouldn't do that if you're living today like you don't believe in him. I would be way more concerned with how you're living today as to, as to the test of whether you really believe than what you said you know, 20 years ago. But also in the same sense, to have you some assurance to say, man, I can look back this morning, yesterday, the day before, to, you know, the Lord is holding me in his hand. He has saved me, and by his grace, I don't wake up and think, yeah, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus again. No, but I wake up, and he's still holding me. I'm still believing in him, not because I'm choosing every day, oh, yeah, I'm gonna do this, but because he's still keeping me, that shows me that I am one of his. He's not letting me go. So assurance, so stop. Some of us are just want to help you today. Maybe if you grew up like me, this is more me kind of, to say your assurance can't come from something way back when. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for whatever he did when you, were, when you were growing up. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. And I hope for many ways it's legitimate. I think it was for me. But your assurance has to come from what you're doing now. Okay? 
Now, this is why it's important for you to take it up every day. Now, here's something that's gonna help your life. I want you to write this down. So remember, assurance leads to confidence. Confidence allows me to live and stand firm, stand, you know, hit the bat. Okay, here's the phrase. We will be confident to the degree that we are consistent. Okay, I'm, I'm help, I wanna help you. Remember, your confidence is not in how good you are, how consistent you are, your, your salvation. But your confidence is, your experience of the things God has done for you is largely dependent on what you do and how you live it out. So we will be confident to the degree that we are consistent. So like I said, if I try to grab a day in the distant past when I took on the helmet of salvation, I will live unassured. But if I can wake up this morning and reflect on the fact that I trusted in Jesus and still am trusting in Jesus, I will live with great assurance. So as I read the word of God and am reminded of his love for me and my heart is united to him again, and as I do that consistently, I grow with confidence because I'm living with consistency. You will be confident in your walk with Jesus to the degree that you are consistent. Now, your consistency doesn't save you. It doesn't make him love you more, but it helps you. So Jesus saves you based off his consistency. He's faithful. He loves you. He died on the cross. There are things you cannot do to save yourself. But the confidence you have to stand in there and to say, man, that trial's coming my way. I can even see it. I know there's gonna be a struggle. This pitch might hit me, but I am confident that I have this helmet of salvation on and I may have a few bruises and I may get dinged up a little bit, but the Lord will hold me strong. I'm gonna be all right. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, he says, I have overcome the world. You're gonna get hit by some pitches, but if you put the helmet of salvation on, your mind will be safe. Your spirit will be safe. Your soul will be safe. This is what he wants to give you this morning. We will be confident to the degree that we are consistent. If I live out the truths of my salvation, I will have assurance. So therefore, I confess my sins instead of pretending like I don't have any. How do I live out the fact that I'm forgiven? I don't live out the reality that I'm forgiven by acting like I don't sin anymore. I live out the reality that I'm forgiven by recognizing I'm still a sinner and confessing it and asking for help. This is what it means to apply the, the truths of the gospel to my daily life. I put on the helmet of salvation and I recognize my sin. But in the Bible sense, what appears to be a weakness becomes a strength. Because listen to me, if you cannot face where you fall short, you will never enjoy how God makes up the difference in your life. If you can't face where you fall short, where you still sin, where you still struggle, and if living in salvation means you pretend like everything's okay, then you'll never enjoy the fact that you are forgiven and how God makes up the difference between who you're supposed to be and who you're not. You have to take up the helmet of salvation and apply it to your life. Sharing the gospel, taking up the helmet of salvation, believing that other people need what you have been given. This is the reality for us that we must live in. So you will be confident to the degree that you are consistent. And if you begin spiritual practices and disciplines, the three we focus on a lot here at City Light is simple, reading the Bible, praying, and sharing the gospel. If these three things, which we train you to do, which you're welcome to have, we have more training, we're happy to help you. If you live these things out, I'm just telling you, it's not like a checklist to be a good Christian. No, 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 you'll grow in assurance. You'll, assurance, remember, gives confidence. Confidence allows you to stand in the, the, the box and hit the pitch, all right? And that's what I want for so many of you and so all of us. The final reality about application uh, that we're gonna close on now is that you apply the future to your present. And so in, in Christian thinking, the future is supposed to dramatically affect my present now. So I don't look to the future to just enjoy the future. I take the future and I grab hold of it and I shove it into my present. 
I apply what will be true forever to my life right now. And therefore, I take up the helmet of salvation. A simple example I believe I've given you before, it's always, always very applicable, is when you know you're going on vacation, you can handle anything at work. Yeah? Or especially when you know you're quitting, you already put your two weeks in. They say, oh, Susie can yell at me all she wants, you know? They can eat my lunch in the fridge, man. They can knock over my coffee. The boss can come yell at me. Oh, praise the Lord. Come, come on, come on, come on. I'll see you later in two weeks, you know? See you, Susie. You know, I ain't worried about that no more, you know? But what has changed? Your future has affected your present. All right, you didn't leave the job yet. You're still there. What has changed? Nothing has changed except the fact you've taken the future and you've applied it to your present. It has changed your attitude. It has changed your disposition. It has changed what you're willing to do. It has changed how you're willing to forgive. It has changed the fact that now you let go of things and instead of turning small things into big things, you let them go. It has changed the fact that you can accept people mistreating you. It has changed, you don't have to fight everything. It has changed so much about your life to say the future has affected my present and therefore, my attitude, my perspective, my joy, my ability to endure struggle has become so much easier, not because it's not happening to me, but because I'm taking what will be and I'm shoving it into what is. This is what I mean by, yeah, heaven will be wonderful. Praise the Lord. Amen. This is something. But you should take the realities of what will be, God's promises, God's goodness, God's faithfulness, and you should shove it right into your life right now and apply it and use it. Take up the helmet of salvation. I'm gonna have the band go ahead and come back up. I want us to, to close now as we pray and consider these realities of our life. The final thing for many of you is you don't have hope simply because you don't have hope. Meaning that hope is not a wish, it's a substance and you can't have hope until you have the substance of hope which is Jesus. Right? You don't have hope because you don't have hope meaning not the feeling of hope, but the substance of hope, which is Jesus. And the Lord is inviting you today to receive the helmet of salvation, to put your trust in him. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go ahead and close your eyes. We're gonna have a prayer team. Go ahead and come down front. You need to respond to the Lord. You need to respond to the Lord. There are those of you who need to take up the helmet of salvation and believe. You need to put your hope in Jesus. You need to do that today. So I want you to go ahead and pray to the Lord now, sitting in your seat, or if you wanna come pray up front. If you need prayer, I want you to, to receive and the hope that God has given you right now. Not a feeling, but a person. If that's you today, I would love to pray for you. If you could raise your hand, I would just love to pray for you and consider what God is doing in your life. I want you to mark this moment with the Lord to say, this is me, I need to receive the hope of salvation. And if you're here today and you do know the Lord and you have the helmet of salvation, you need to intentionally pick it up and put it on. And so I want you to think about how that looks this morning. What does it look like to live forgiven? What does it look like to remember God's love? What does it look like to take the future and apply it to your present? How can you stand in the box and get ready for any pitch that comes your way by putting the helmet on this morning? And so I'm gonna pray and we're gonna sing and I just want you to respond to the Lord and to take these truths and apply them to your life and your thoughts and your heart. So Lord, we love you. We thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you for your great love for us. 
We thank you for the great truth of salvation. I pray for those in the room who want to put their trust in you, Lord, that you would move in such a great way in their hearts, that they would believe and receive the free gift of salvation that you've bought for them on the cross. I pray, Lord, for every soul, Lord, in this room, that they would walk out of here with assurance and confidence in who you are for them. I pray that we would take up the helmet of salvation this morning, right now, that we would put it on, that it would change our attitude, that it would change our perspective, that it would change our ability to endure, that it would give us joy, that it would help us live with security and assurance. And so, Lord, would you do what a sermon and a song can't do, but only your Holy Spirit can do, to take these truths and make them come alive in our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So why don't you stand or kneel or whatever you need to do. We'll sing and pray.